All right. Good morning, everybody. This morning, uh, John Michelson came up to me, and he told me a couple things. One of the things he said is, he said, you're preaching today in shorts? He said, I can't do it, man. Um, The other thing he said to me was, um, uh, it's not too late to sign up for small groups. Um, (laughs) I know some of you guys... um, have mentioned to him or emailed the church like, hey, I'll just sign up for the next round. Uh, don't wait. Uh, feel free to, to join a small group as soon as possible. Um, we're going to, part of my message today, um, which is a, a letter addressed to youth, we're going to talk about how uh, relationships take risk and how all good things take some risk and um, and also how all good things require a sacrifice of some security and comfort. Um, and so if you're feeling kind of hesitant to, to join a small group, I just want to encourage you to do so. Um, and I think uh, maybe welcome table or just uh, email. Um, you go onto the church website and, and find an email and... and uh, and maybe email the church if, you, if you're interested in joining. Okay, so uh, if you have a Bible with you, uh, could you open it up to Proverbs 3? We're going to look at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Some of you guys probably know this passage. I'll read it aloud. Passage goes like this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. So a couple months ago, Scott asked me to, uh, or asked me if I was interested in, in penning a letter to youth, to young people. We're, we were doing a, a series, love letters to different people groups, and, and me and my wife, Nicole, work with young people at the church, so he asked me to... Um, to write a letter to young people today. Um, and because I'm a young, immature minister, I said, absolutely. I jumped at it, um, any opportunity. Um, but um, when I began thinking about it and thinking about youth today and researching and studying, I realized this was going to be a, a tough topic in a lot of ways. Um, in this letter, I have borrowed several sources from an article written by Tony Ranke called uh, 12 Tips for Parenting in a Digital Age. Um, I had read this article a few years ago on a website called Desiring God, um, and he sourced heavily from Jean Twenge, who is a, uh, I think she's a social psychologist out of San Diego State University. She's done kind of the most systematic research on 
young people today. Um, This is a hard thing to do because the recipient of my letter and message is a very modern generation, and the call to action for this very modern generation is the same call to action for every generation ever, which is to walk in very ancient pathways. And the only means to do this is the spirit of the living God. The only way that any of us can walk, can take heed to this this passage, trust in the Lord with all your heart, is I believe for the Holy Spirit to change our hearts. Um, So let's pray. Father God, it is hard thing to call a generation to give up what culture tells us is priceless. Um, This includes uh, things related to our identities, things related to our relationships, things related to our personal safety and comforts. But Jesus, you are a priceless jewel. And your comforter is among us. So we ask that you would make Jesus beautiful in this city. We pray that Jesus would be made beautiful at Brown University, at RISD, at Johnson Wales, at Rick, at Providence College. We pray that Jesus would be made beautiful at Central High School, at Classical at the career academies, at the various magnet schools and charter schools throughout the city. God, we want you to be first in our lives. We want our trust in you to come before even our vast understanding, and it is vast. So we pray these prayers in the name of Jesus who loved us and died for us. Amen. Dear young people, social scientists call you Generation Z or the I-Generation, I-Gen for short. That's anyone born between the years 1995 and 2012. You are the first generation in the history of civilization to be born after the commercialization of the internet. That's in 1995. So you have no memories of a life without the internet. This means you have access to knowledge that would make Plato, Aquinas, Edison, Einstein, and Hawking, just to name some white men, um, combined look absolutely foolish. Uh, The the knowledge that you have access to today um, would make some of the greatest thinkers of our time or in previous times um, look kind of dumb. And yet God is after your hearts, your inner selves. He loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. That's what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 means. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Um, 
If you want to know the good life, the life you were made for in Christ, the life of miracles in heaven and perfect relationship, you can't lean on your mind alone. Many great thinkers have gone to hell because they never trusted God with their hearts. Um, I don't know specifics. I don't know who's in heaven and who's in hell. Only God knows that. Um, But I know just through my study of science and more of a cursory kind of understanding of things that even scientists in the 20th century understand that most truth claims are kind of arrived at by a scientific consensus, a paradigm shift, if you will. And so what's most important for us and for you is to be mastered by God and his truth um, rather than mastered by uh, whatever you throw your soul and your mind into. Maybe that's science, and that's great, but we have to be mastered first by God. With that said, here are three ways for you, the I generation, generation Z, to wholeheartedly trust God. One, you need to trust him in your identity. Two, you need to trust him in your relationships. Three, you need to trust him with your life. Now, obviously I'm writing this letter to I generation, but this is for all of us. The same things, existential anxieties, um, personal questions of identity. For I generation, for Generation Z, they're the same things that we deal with and have struggled with for all of time. One, trust him in your identity Youth today are facing a major identity crisis. Between 2012 and 2015, symptoms of depression rose 21% for boys and 50% for girls. Male suicides amongst teens doubled. Female rates tripled. Social scientists couldn't figure out what was going on. Today, suicide is an even greater issue for those youth who identify as queer or non-binary. The Trevor Project in 2020 found that 40% of LGBTQ plus youth had seriously considered suicide over the previous year. One might argue that the disproportionate rates of suicide amongst trans and gay students is a result of increases in microaggressions and bullying. I don't think this is likely. Um, It's not because microaggressions and bullying don't exist, but it's because this generation is very woke to issues of microaggression and bullying in comparison with other generations. Uh, You, I generation, are not a quintessential bullying generation, so to speak. You form rallies around issues of injustice. Sometimes, to the shame of your elders, you even act as puppets for political agendas. Um, So what is the reason why youth today are facing a major identity crisis? Jean Twenge is a psychologist, as I mentioned, at San Diego State University. She wrote a book called iGen, and she has this to say about identity crisis for young people today. 
It's not an exaggeration to describe iGen as being on the brink of the worst mental health crisis in decades. Much of this deterioration can be traced to their phones. There is compelling evidence that the devices we've placed in young people's hands are having a profound effect on their lives and making them seriously unhappy. Unfortunately, young people with relational needs and existential anxieties, just like all of us, have been handed the internet to cope. This is, now, this is where they are now taught about things like belonging and sex. I want, you, I want us to think about a biblical alternative to this complete breakdown in parental ownership. And I just want to say right now, I am not meaning to criticize parents here. I'm about to have my first child in August. I know it's very difficult um, to raise kids. Um, To raise them in the Lord is a miracle. Salvation is a miracle. Um, But I do want to point us back to more of a biblical precedent about how we should be raising our children. Um, When Paul writes to Timothy, a young pastor, about building and sustaining a healthy church, he talks to him about elders. He talks to him about a few things, but one of the things he prescribes are elders. And this is the description of an elder to Timothy. They should be the husband of one wife. This means that they're faithful men not looking at pornography, they're not having affairs, not getting divorced, faithful to the one wife that they're given. They're not angry, but they're gentle. They bring peace in their home. They're open to their children's struggles and identity and other things. They're not lovers of money. They don't overwork. That's what this means. They're there. They're present. They're raising their kids along with their spouses. That's the kind of home where boys become men, where women flourish and grow in their own unique callings and leaderships. Imagine, Generation Z, how your life might be different if you had one of these homes growing up. If you had one of these men for a father. Imagine how your mother's life might be different. We have exiled a generation from the ideal of this biblical reality, a home that's safe, a place where children can share their fears, their struggles. And we've exiled children into a desert, Instagram and Facebook. In the book of Daniel, we read of a very similar exile of some young men. They were Jewish boys through and through who were kidnapped from their land and taken to Babylon. And in Babylon, they were given new names. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Names were very significant, typically denoted the God you worshipped. Their names went from having meanings of of Jehovah God um, to cult gods. And and, um, these boys were most likely castrated. 
The sexual mores and values of an inhumane society were forced upon them. Even the food that they were given was altogether different. Why? Because Babylon meant to give these boys a completely new identity. Yet when their worship of the king was forced upon them at the risk of their lives, how did they respond? They refused to bow. Because no matter how much the culture tried to poison their minds against their God, their hearts could not betray their identity as sons of the God of Abraham and Isaac. They trusted that through life or death, their God was enough. Generation Z, iGen, trust God with your identity. Trust him in your relationships. In 2020, the Cigna Loneliness Index found that nearly 8 in 10 Gen Zers reported feeling lonely significantly higher than millennials. Sorry, I'm kind of struggling with this partly because, you know, Nicole and I, we've worked with young people for the past few years, and and just seeing what COVID did in that population, the depression that many of you have gone through over the past year, we see it, we know it. Okay. Yeah, so Gen Zers have been and this is not just in 2020. For the past few years, the Cigna Loneliness Index has found, and this is a group that studies loneliness across demographics, they found that Gen Zers, um, iGeners, are significantly higher in loneliness than any other generation. Um, the solution that most youth have had to look to is a pretty lousy bedfellow. Um, this is from a book uh, by jo- jo- uh, Nancy Joe Sales. Um, it's called "American Girls: Social Media and the Secret Lives of Teenagers." This is just one conversation she had with teenagers, and I think it kind of typifies what a lot of young people go through today. The girl said, "Social media is destroying our lives." So then, why go online? Sales responded, "Because then we would have no life." The teenager responded. Perhaps as a result of lives enmeshed in social media, the I generation cares um, a lot about personal safety and comfort. Uh, let me just kind of flesh that out for a second. Um, I, I don't have time to go t- too deeply into uh, social media and its effects on our personalities in this um, message, but generally speaking... Um, um, social media is somewhat of a mirror to oneself. So um, when we look at social media, when we look at Instagram, when, when this is our main way of relating to people around us, and I'm not saying this is the same for, this is the case for every iGen. I know there's a lot of you out there. I see a lot of students. Um, but when we do that, um, it, it can cause us to become a little bit self-absorbed. Um, now, um, 
and one of the outcomes of this is that students, they care a lot about their personal safety and comfort. Um, this can be a really positive thing, and it has been. Uh, we are seeing uh, far less risky behavior amongst this generation of young people uh, than we've seen in the past. Um, and social scientists think that we're probably seeing declines even in rates of sexual assault. Um, if you are a young person who has uh, experienced sexual assault, um, with all that said, I just want to tell you that you're not dirty, you're not alone, um, you're not weird. Um, uh, but I think it's a good thing, and we can praise God, that this generation cares about safety. Um, they care a lot about, um, in, in some ways, they care about comfort. Um, However, this generation is also far less likely to test themselves than in the past. Uh, Jean Twenge, uh, the psychologist I've, I've referenced a few times, uh, she argues that there is a flip side to iGen's interest in safety. The idea that one should be safe not just from car accidents and sexual assault, but from people who disagree with you. Um, so students on campuses, and we've seen a lot of this, they've kind of redefined certain words to protect themselves from um, not just, you know, physical assault, um, not just, you know, car accidents, but also sometimes from harmful opinions. Um, words like safe space, which were once used to allow LGBTQ um, people to meet safely on campus, have been um, co-opted, I would say. Um, some of you might not use that strong language um, to protect um, youth, for them to protect themselves from ideas that they find offensive. Um, and we've seen this on university camp campuses often. Now, it's not just um, conservatives that are critics of this. It's also um, a lot of progressives because a lot of the progressive movement has um, found a certain level of safety in um, using free speech to promote their ideas. A lot of different kind of, if we look at progress, you know, progressivism as an umbrella, um, we see that there's um, a lot of groups that have been able to utilize free speech on campuses and things like that to um, promote and further their ideas. Um, and that's being eliminated um, when students find, you know, uh, something that might, like a, an opinion that they disagree with, actually harmful. Um, now, I want to talk about sort of the issue with this. If you can't hold some tension for opinions different than your own, it is very difficult to grow in your relationships um, if you ask anyone who's been married for a while, I've been married for a year and a half, um, which is not a while, and I can tell you right now that my wife's opinions, when very different than my own, are oftentimes the most useful for my soul. Um, and even when they're not useful, my wife's opinions, when different than my own, are oftentimes um, what grow me and develop me as a person and as a man um, with perseverance and love and endurance. 
Um, and that's part of why we're here in a church um, and why it's so important to join small groups like we talked about earlier because um, when you can risk some safety and security um, and grow, um, look, look, human beings are broken and, and we all make mistakes. But one of the really beautiful things about the Christian story is the story of forgiveness. And so when we can be in community with other broken people and we make mistakes and we have to ask for forgiveness, um, it changes us and, and we become more grace-filled people and people who have more forgiveness for others. And so one of, um, one of the scary things I see for this generation is that um, you oftentimes, this has been a little bit of my experience and more so just what I've seen in, in the science, oftentimes are... Um, you put up borders with people who believe very different things from yourself. Um, If we look at the book of Ruth, we see a woman who um, was very low on security, insecurity and relational security. Um, At this time, when, when, uh, when Ruth lived, um, she was a Moabite and her husband died and her father-in-law died, and her brother-in-law died, which meant that she had no covering. This was a different time. Women didn't have um, uh, the outcome of the gospel and freedom hadn't really permeated in a way that women had uh, the freedoms that they have now. Ruth was really in a state of um, danger. And... uh, and her mother-in-law said, um, you stay here in Moab, a pagan country. Uh, I'm going to go home basically to die. <laughs> and, uh, and Ruth said she saw the relationship that she had with Naomi. She saw the familial covenant that she had with her. And she said, no, I'm going to go where you go. And I'm going to serve the God that you serve. She risked. Um, she gave up her family. She gave up her homeland um, and risked her security and comfort uh, for relationship. And what's more, then she, uh, she went and she did church with Naomi. Um, she submitted herself to Naomi's leadership, and Naomi pointed her in a direction um, that was a little dangerous. She pointed her um, to a point where she even submitted herself um, in marriage, and, and Naomi uh, guided her in marriage, and this was risky. Um, it's risky to uh, have relationships like this where we uh, see authority and Christian authority, and we say, hey, I'm going to submit myself to your authority and, um, and, and serve the God that you serve, and uh, yeah, it, it takes risk. And so it's so important to, to trust God in your relationships. If you want your relationships to be deep, you're going to have to give up some security and comfort. And that, that takes me to my last point, um, um, and that's trusting God with your life. So if we're trusting the Lord with all our heart, uh, when the Bible speaks of heart, it's our inner selves, um, 
inner man, inner women, woman, um, if we're trusting him with our life, um, we've trusted him with our identity, with our relationships, and now uh, I just want to talk about trusting him with your life. We kind of already talked a little bit about that with Ruth, who risked her life. Um, today's young people are in most ways uh, secular. Um, I-Jenners are more likely than any generation before them to be raised by religiously unaffiliated parents. Uh, 31% don't identify with any religion. But in some ways, they actually aren't religious. Um, If we just kind of redefine religion a little bit, um, Christian Smith is a sociologist out of Notre Dame. um, And he, he wrote a book called Soul Searching in which he interviewed lots of young people about their faith. And he coined a term to summarize many modern youth's religious beliefs as moralistic therapeutic deism. Uh, That's a big set of words. It just basically means this, as far as I can tell. If something makes me feel better about myself, then I will practice it. Otherwise, leave me alone. So if there's a religion or a religious belief that makes me feel better about me, then it's something that I will practice. Otherwise, I don't really want, I don't have space for it. Um, it's, uh, it's not hard to see how young people adopt this mindset, honestly. I think the church bears a big uh, responsibility here as well. Um, the majority of insta-famous pastors and worship leaders are way more likely to wear a Gucci sweater and some fashionable Jordans. Not that there's anything wrong with Gucci sweaters and fashionable Jordans. Don't email Pastor Scott. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> They're far more likely to, um, I don't know, place an emphasis on appearance and kind of shallow things and God doing everything to make you and your life the best, most comfortable thing possible than preach the cross or repentance. And the problem with this is Christianity is dangerous. It was dangerous to Ruth. It was dangerous to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if it's real, it'll be dangerous to us today. Real religion always involves a loss of life. It always has, and it always will. Proverbs 3, 5, wouldn't it be telling you to trust in the Lord if it wasn't a little dangerous? It wouldn't implore the listener to trust if there wasn't risk involved. And when you place a very high value on self-preservation and safe spaces, Again, these are good things. It's good that the young people today care about safety. It's good that they care about security. Um, These values are good in and of themselves, but it makes it especially scary when we're looking at a religion that says if you want to gain your life, you have to lose it. This is what Jesus said to us. Um, So I'm going to leave you with this. What if you, young person, refuse to bow to cultural pressure and worship societal kings, and maybe God doesn't save you like he did for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? 
When we read that story, we see that God met them in the fiery furnace. Um, What if you lay your life down like Ruth and Naomi gives you uh, bad advice? You're Naomi, whoever your, your pastor is or your church leader, and you're Boaz. And I'm not just speaking to, to girls here. I mean, just whoever, you know, your leaders are, uh, never come. And they leave you alone in the world. What if your story is a little bit more like Stephen's and standing up for Christ gets you martyred on your campus? Maybe not physically martyred, but shamefully and dishonored. And I want to tell you why you don't have to worry about this. Because if you lay your life down for God, if you trust God with your whole heart, you'll be trusting a God who laid his life down for you. If you lay your life down, you're laying your life down for a God who personified sacrifice on your behalf. When Jesus came to earth, he was born a poor Jew in a country that was run by foreign powers. He lived a life of obedience to broken parents, just like yours and mine. And when he was older, he died a death that was painful in every way, shape, or form. He suffered um, rejection. He suffered um, rejection of friends, family. Um, He was dishonored. He subjected himself to poverty and rejection and humiliation and pain so that you might have relationship with him. God's asking you to trust this kind of friend who will never let you down. This is why he is totally worth trusting. If you lay your life down, if you trust him with your heart, he will absolutely make your path straight. The cross proves it. Father God, we're just thankful to be able to share life with young people today. Lord, we're thankful um, that we can do this because you're above it all. Um, We're your covenant people. We're your family. Lord, I pray that for older generations, they would um, be so filled with the Spirit um, that it would be nothing for them to trust God with their identity I pray in this church, people who, who struggle um, with same-sex attraction or, um, <clears throat> or even feelings of maybe I don't feel in, uh, engendered like a, what, what is so-called the norm. I pray that this would be a place um, where there's healing and where there's conversation Um, but where first and foremost our identity is given to you and we trust you with everything we have. I pray that would be demonstrated from older generations on down. I pray relationship would be real and not surface level. Wouldn't it be based on likes every once in a while, but it would be real shared life, 
Lord, I even thank you that maybe the numbers in this church have dropped a little bit. I, I think you're doing something special here. I think you're, you're trying to build a core family, um, not, just, uh, not just 300 people who just come on a Sunday and are loosely affiliated here, but people who are really sharing life. They're risking something for other people. Um, and Lord, I just, I pray that this church would be marked by people who are willing to even lose their life um, in light of the fact that you've given everything to us, that we have everything we'd ever need in you. Lord, I pray you would do this by the power of your spirit in our campuses, in our high schools, in our middle schools, Lord. We need your spirit to do this work, to change us. We need your spirit to trust you, God. No one's ever trusted you without the spirit of God revealing yourself to us. We need to know that your sacrifice for us is real and meaningful. God, I pray that that you'd do this work in our, our church. And I pray that, um, that you'd bring those who are broken and hurting here and that they would, they would meet the family and the, they'd find the identity and the relationship that they've been looking for in you. In your name we pray, amen.